0: You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast.
1: Today's guest is Representative Julie Johnson. Representative Johnson is a lawyer, personal injury lawyer in Dallas, Texas. And in 2018, she became an elected representative in the Texas House of Representatives. She was reelected in 2020. When we met Julie, she was running for office. Now we get to talk to her after she's been elected and reelected. Fun fact about this conversation is it was one day after all of the Texas Democrats returned from dc back to texas after breaking quorum so we got to talk to her about that as well of course as always we talked about decision making we learned some helpful tips i think you're going to learn a lot by listening to this as well i'm sanger smith this is decided
2: welcome
1: back to texas I think you've been away from Texas in this one event more than I've been away in my whole life, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fascinated by it because we don't get into politics on this show a whole lot. I know that seems a little strange that we have a politician on the show, but we, we speak about decision making, right? And so I got super excited when I saw the picture that went viral and you were front and center. I was like, you know what? That's a great decision right there. (laughs)
2: Well, I don't know if it was or not. (laughs) That's certainly up for debate uh, on that. Lots of people have their opinion
1: on it. (laughs) You know, to get that amount of people, I learned this today, every single one of you in the Democratic Party were unified in that effort, right? And so, again, whether people have, you know, people have their opinions on how it was handled, whatever it is, the picture, this or that, that's not what interests me. What interests me is the decision-making process to get every single one of you to be unified. That's a powerful decision, especially in a time where, you know, getting people to be unified on anything is almost impossible.
2: Well, you know, there were 57 of us.
1: So okay. let's let so me round give, up to 80. Let me give you some, <laughs> some
2: uh, accurate facts. How about that? Yeah, there are 63 members of the Democratic Caucus. Okay, okay. And 57 broke quorum. So there were six that did not initially. But still, hurting 57 Democratic cats was a feat, let me just say. But I think it's about, you know, to your point of what brings people collectively to join forces like that, to decide to do a quorum break or decide to make a momentum shift in what they're doing in their workplace or in their political sphere or whatever it is that they're doing what they're going on what what binds a significant group of people together to take a dramatic action right that's kind of the question of this podcast and I think it goes down to what your core values are and are your core values being under attack and do you find commonality in the response to whatever you're facing. And so you see that in employee organizing because they don't feel like their their employer structure is fair or Mm. working conditions are unsafe or whatever the case may be. You see that in parents forming together because they're concerned about their kids being at risk in school or whatever. And then in this context, it was Democrats coming together because we feel like our fundamental principles of democracy are under attack with restricting the freedom to vote, which is a core principle that our country was founded on. And so I think when you see significant shifts like that, it's because something very core important is at stake. And that's what really binds people together.
1: I think that's really interesting because I'm so glad you said that because we talk about values a lot. And during the decision-making conversations that we've had with people in all sorts of different industries, all sorts of different careers, Values comes up so frequently. And I'm not sure what it is, you know, obviously, I think it's important. But it seems like culturally, we focus on values a lot more as a as a collective group of people at a time where maybe our values might be more different than they've ever been. Or at least people are fair, you know, comfortable vocalizing the differences that we have in values. And so to see that, I think that's one of the reasons why it got so much attention is, again, whether people agree or disagree, if we see someone standing up for their values, that's powerful and important. And that's a big choice.
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, I do feel like we're in a space in our country. And actually, I think it's probably something if you just look historically at significant events, it's, it's a, we are a value-based society and a value-based species, so to speak, you know, sure. the human mind, we form values of things that are important to us that drive our core decision process and things that are important. And so I agree with that. I think that honestly, a lot of us have more commonality in our value structure. It's just how those values are manifest that difference that differentiates that and what promotes that value is where the distinguishing factors are. So, for example, just in the Democratic cornbreak, we have, I think, all Democrats and all Republicans feel that preserving the right to vote is a core value. I don't know any American that doesn't believe preserving the right to vote is not a core value. It's What constitutes the preservation of that vote? And that's, it's the factual basis for that. That's really distinguishing the two opinions or various opinions is how does that preserving the right to vote manifest it? But the value is the same.
0: I think you're right. When you look at, we're all coming from no matter what side of the aisle somebody's on, there are those common values. The difference is if we're saying we want a better tax code. We can all agree on that, right? How that is defined is, is very, very different, right? <laughs> you know, we all want, you know, a better voting system. Yeah, I think we can all agree on that. How we're defining that is very, very different. So it was, a. I always like when, when I see people taking a stand for values, because I think it creates the dialogue. And a lot of times what seems to be missing so often is that effective and interactive dialogue to learn about what are those commonalities we can agree on. So it's, it's really challenging, but you've got to make so many important decisions and you've got a lot of constituencies that are pulling on you. Every person in the legislature does, whether it's a social community, different affinity groups, business communities. How do you decide how to prioritize those decisions when you're getting pulled, it would seem in so many different directions?
2: Yeah, you are exactly right. And I think it kind of goes back to a higher, more of a 10,000 foot level on how do you approach decisions? And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is value systems. And, And how do people approach candidates and how do people select? So for example, for me, sort of my core values in politics are, I want the government to be responsible with our tax dollars. I don't want to be taxed more than I need to. I want a balanced budget. I want oversight. I want thoughtfulness. I don't want to have to spend more in taxes than I need to. I want the government to treat every member fairly, equally. I want everyone to have an equal opportunity in life. I want the government to do its job. Every child deserves an education. We all deserve quality health care. And then get out of the way. And so those are sort of my core values. So I approach legislation Based on those core values, what is that legislation doing? And does it kind of meet within that value structure of what I kind of believe government, the role of government, should do? And that really helps, I think, guide how I vote. You know, I personally don't get sucked into is this a Democrat issue? Is this a Republican issue? I really try to approach everything on a factual basis on the policy initiative itself and specifically what does the actual legislation do. There's a lot of times I vote with my Democratic colleagues. There's times I vote with my Republican colleagues because believe it or not, Democrats have really good policy and Republicans can have really good policy and Democrats can have really bad policy and Republicans can have really bad policy. So I, I think that for me, I really do try to keep focus on what is this doing? What is this piece of legislation doing? And does it make sense within my core value structure of how government should function? and that's how I try to base those decisions.
0: One of the things that we always talk about on, on the podcast is that we're wanting to defeat bad decision making. Get some information out there on how people can make better decisions. As a state legislature, how do you defeat bad decision making in your role in the state house?
2: I think bad decision making in a state legislative process comes from uninformed decisions and just making knee-jerk reactions based on Maybe, maybe a party affiliation or based on who's offering it or what advocacy group is for or against it. I think that you have to really research what you're voting on. And uh, so many of my colleagues sometimes just blindly cast a vote and you have no idea what the legislation's doing, no idea what it's designed to do and the impact it has. So to me, the number one thing you can do is make an informed decision and really understand the issue and put the effort in to comprehend the pros and cons and the impact of what that piece of legislation is designed to do.
1: It seems like that would be really challenging in your position because the types of questions that are coming at you as a representative sometimes are going to be squarely within areas of your expertise. But we right. can't be experts on everything. So I would imagine that every now and then there's going to be a bill that comes across that's maybe about a problem that you didn't even know existed. Right,
0: some problem about the railroad or something. You say, I don't know anything right. about the railroad, right?
2: Right, well, and there you, and that's right. And so we had 7,000 bills filed this past session. To that point, it's really impossible to read all 7,000 of them directly. Well, that's where good decisions come in place by staffing. You know, have you, have you hired competent staff that you can trust and rely on to help ferret out that share your value structure that will approach the decision-making the way you would want it to be approached? Do you rely on other sources of information as trusted sources to help rely and gain that information? And so again, you know, we make, I love this podcast because decisions are so important and we don't realize the consequences And the ripple effect that decisions can have all up and down the chain of making a decision, such as, did you make a decision to have good processes in place in your office? Did you make a decision to have good staff? Do you make a decision to, all those things affect, to your point, the decision I might make on how to vote a bill. And so it's good decision-making stacked on top of each other for overall success.
1: So you are a business owner, correct? Okay. So what you're saying resonates with me as a business owner in the sense that you can't possibly make every single decision that needs to be made within your business, nor as a representative, right? You've got to rely on your team. The question that I have for you is, and maybe the answer is the same in your capacity as a business owner and as a representative, but as a representative, how do you ensure that the values that are important to you as a representative? Are the values that your team are using when they are making those decisions independently themselves on how to support the overall effort?
2: Well, I think that communication and clarity of communication is really key to understanding that, right? And then having that discussion through a variety of circumstances. So obviously, When you interview a staff person, having that conversation is what are their core values to see if they match with mine. And then just in the experience of the workplace, as we discuss legislation, obviously we discuss in detail the most controversial legislation, right, you know, and how we're going to apply that. So then I rely upon my staff on less controversial issues. And so they get a sense of working with me. And fortunately, I have zero turnover in my staff. You know, my staff is. So I hired great. My chief of staff is so talented and smart and just guides my staff. We're like the Hotel California. Once you come, you can never leave.
0: (laughs) How many staff people does each representative get? How do you get that rounded up and hired?
2: Well, we have very pathetic state budgets to hire staff. And that's one of the huge problems that we face in the Texas legislature is funding. So I supplement my staff with my campaign funds because I believe okay. in paying a fair wage and a competitive wage and hiring the best talent I can for my office and for my constituents. And so it's, it's difficult because the state budget, we're only allowed a total budget of $15,000 a month during session for all staff okay. and office everything it's woefully inadequate
0: oh that's uh, office yeah and staff
2: yeah everything oh wow it's wow. terrible i mean and that's then awesome. not during the session it goes down to 13,000 so think about how you could think about what you're trying to run in your business on right. full all, all expenses in for 13 grand a month and yeah <laughs> it, you know, that's really difficult, right? So I have to raise funds in my campaign uh, because I believe in, you know, you have to hire the best talent. You got to pay them a fair wage for that. And so uh, fortunately, I have a lot of people that support my campaign that helps me have my- Do
0: most representatives source those folks from the Austin area or do you source them from your district-
2: yeah, I have Austin staff and district staff. So, got it. Okay. Uh, so, it, it comes both ways. And, Austin staff, obviously, we want people who are experienced in the Capitol, who sure. understand how the legislative process works. And so, fortunately, my staff is very experienced that way.
1: Great. So, when it comes to the important decisions that you've made, as a representative, what, what would you say is the most important, or difficult, or challenging, or impactful decision that you've been forced to make?
2: on legislation. You know, to me, I was kind of in trying to prepare for this and thinking on this podcast. If I go back to two of the most significant decisions I've made in my life, there's some commonality to both of them. One was when I was 29 years old to leave, I'm a lawyer, to leave the the great big law firm that I worked for and to start my own practice. And then in politics, it would be actually deciding to run. And under both of those situations, the commonalities were, you know, I had a very safe job in a very secure environment. My life at home before I ran is very safe, awesome, great gig. But then you have to be vulnerable and you have to put yourself out there, expose yourself to risk, get out of that comfort zone to push yourself into a different environment, which is what I did when I left my security of my big law firm job and opened up my own law firm. When I left the security and comfort of my really awesome life to put myself out there and be a candidate for office.
0: I remember when you did that, when we we were out on the porch talking with Sue and you were in frantically going away, the, the campaign was underway. And I was just thinking, "Oh, you're crazy. Why are you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> because it's, it's so difficult. You know, you got a great life. You're doing fine. Right. Why do you need this in your life? But, uh, you know, I appreciate the passion that you have. You want to make a difference. And there are things that are right. important to you.
2: And uh, so, that had to
0: be a big decision.
2: Right. I think so. Those sorts of decisions where you leave safety and security and you push yourself through vulnerability, through risk, through insecurity of, you know, is this right? Is this going to be good for me? Am I going to get hurt in the process? Am I going to go financially bankrupt from my law firm? Or am I going to just have an epic fail in politics? And, and, but really being able to have the self-confidence in your ability and your determination to say, you know what, I'm smart, I'm talented, I work hard and my work ethic and my intellect and my determination will see me through. I think to have those those self-confidences, I think that's really where I see people struggle with overcoming that vulnerability and overcoming that insecurity to propel them their life forward and to make decisions to move forward as opposed to just remaining in the comfort and security of their current life.
1: Yeah, I think living in comfort is something that we struggle with as a society a lot because our lives can be so comfortable if we want them to be. You know, we don't have to go out and hunt our food. We, we can. We don't even have to get out of the car if we don't want to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you
2: don't have to your house. It shows up on your doorstep. Yeah, that's true. It's you don't true. even
1: have to. You don't even have to get up off true. the couch. But life can be really, really, really easy. It can obviously be really hard in the modern world in a way that it wasn't in the past, but it can be really easy. What you said about leaving security and stability made me think of a conversation that Sean and I had with Jessica Mills, who's a YouTuber, she's got a, a really big following, as she goes on long distance hikes. So she'll go on like a six month hike, right? Oh wow. um, It's incredible. And she does them. Um, you know, she probably does like two a year, maybe a six month and a three month. She lives outside more than she lives inside. And she documents the whole thing. And so she was talking to us about how her decision to just go do that was really easy for her, which I thought was interesting because she's leaving. You know, she had a stable job and she's like, you know, what? I'm just going to go be a free spirit. I'm going to go out here. I'm going to go do my thing. I'm going to go pursue adventure that I've always wanted to pursue since I was a little girl. She goes, and these people in my hometown, you know, they're stuck and they don't want to leave and they think I'm crazy. And what we ended up talking about was, you know, hey, Jessica, that's your value, you know, your value is adventure, it's easy to leave, your value was never security. (laughs) And so for, for some people whose value is security, it really is so challenging for them. It doesn't make them a worse person. It doesn't mean they're not courageous. It doesn't mean they don't have something to offer. It just means it's more challenging. And I kind of resonate with you on that. Like, I'm certainly not like Jessica in the sense that I could just drop everything and go do it, that's not for me. And I I don't know that security would make it to my top five values, but it's certainly more important to me than it is to someone like her. And, And I think that's important to understand about ourselves is what values are obviously the most important, but what values are of secondary importance? And am I allowing a value of secondary importance to hold me back from accomplishing One of my values that's of primary importance.
2: Oh, I love that. I'm gonna have to adopt that in my conversation because I think that's exactly right. Because that's just great. Yeah. (laughs) I do, I do, I that makes that resonates with me a lot.
0: When you think about tips for people, you know, coming from your position as a state representative, what would you say are the top tips you have for people to help? keep them from making bad decisions?
2: Well, I think be informed, you know, obviously research all the issues, understand the impact of the decision that you're making, pro and con. Does that resonate with your value structure? Does that resonate with what you believe is right? And third, you know, for me, it's when you're trying to evaluate substantive policy issues you know is the impact that this legislation is going to have on other people an impact that i support and that i can live with and does that you know foster a value that i have and so i think just always checking yourself but being informed do your homework be thoughtful don't make hasty decisions really live with it for a bit, because there's times when we have really controversial things that I have to vote on, that I just, I just sit with it for a bit, you know, and just to make sure that my instinct is right on that.
1: That's interesting that you mentioned avoiding hasty decisions, because we were talking to Dr. Sapersky, who's a disaster avoidance expert, don't ask me to fully explain what that means because <laughs> that's what he says and, 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 and he does a good job of it. But he, he essentially he helps businesses avoid making bad decisions. And that was one of his like number one tips was don't make quick decisions. You know, sometimes you have to, I guess. But I think that in our world, everything's so fast paced, especially those who, you know, we live in a big city. I live in Fort Worth, you know, you live in, in Dallas and Austin, big cities, things are moving fast. People are driving fast. People talk fast. We've got back-to-back-to-back-to-back meetings all day long. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we get confused with the decisions that require an urgent response, and we confuse those with all other decisions. Not every decision do I have to make right now.
2: Right. Yeah. You know, I agree with that. You know, sometimes what will happen is in the legislative process, an advocacy group or a lobbyist will come in and try to share with me a position or viewpoint on a particular piece of legislation and try to secure my commitment right then, mm-hmm. you know, to um, <laughs> yeah. what done. And, and they really want my commitment right then. <laughs> yeah. What do we need to do to
0: put you in a car today? Yeah.
2: Right. And and sometimes the answer is, is very obvious. And of course, yes, of course, that's absolutely something that I'm going to support because it's it's pretty clear. But other times it's not so clear and you just have to resist that desire to please somebody sitting right in front of you and say you know I, I really appreciate you coming and taking the time but I just need to sit with this for a little bit and I always love the excuse I need to talk with my staff yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and taking the time but also consulting people who you trust and rely on in your ne- in your world to help make these decisions because sometimes it's really tough some of these things are not cut and dry and they're not so black and white and there's a lot of gray in trying to decide the best way to to deal with that. So
0: and so many times you know we we see bills that come out and you know it's the, the motherhood and apple pie bill like of course i would all su- celebrate motherhood and apple pie but you know it's it's getting into what is actually in that legislation that may run counter to what i need to be representing for my constituency or contradicts my values or my goodness if i well, if i voted yeah. for that that would not be good and, for anybody.
2: Right and then one of the really hard times is when you have multiple constituencies that share opposite views on a legislation so you're having to sort of pick between your children the business community may favor one outcome but employees and workers and people going to, may need a different outcome or patients may need one outcome but healthcare providers may need a different outcome or there's all sorts yeah. of, of issues that come into play sometimes um, it's not so clear and I think that's it. You just can't rush in. In our business, there's always people uh, trying to call. There's constituents calling, there's lobby, there's the, the advocacy groups, and they want your immediate support right then. And you just have to take a breath and don't, don't overcommit. Don't commit to something you're not willing to do. Your word is your bond. So just take the time to make that decision. When people commit to something, then don't follow through. That's one of the worst decisions you can make.
1: Yeah. That's fascinating. It made me think of a time that I went to a sales training seminar. And the guy that he's, he's basically teaching everybody to be a better salesman. Now, as a financial advisor, I'm not a salesman in the sense that, you know, I'm selling cars, but there's something I could learn, right? So I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll go to this and see what I can take away. He said something that sounded really great. And it was our, our job as salespeople is to move people from a point of indecision to a point of decision. And that's why we'll never let them leave without making a decision. So, yeah, it sounds good, right? <laughs> that you frame that very nicely, but that's not necessarily helping them make a good decision. <laughs> You're, they're certainly making a decision if I do that. And, and I guess that's kind of what the lobbyists, uh, the special interest, whoever it is that that's speaking with you is they're trying to get you to make a choice.
2: Right, and they're trying very hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and right, their object, their object when they come into my office is to advocate for a particular position on legislation and secure my commitment to agree with them. And sometimes I don't want to do that. I, I'm just, I'm like, this issue is interesting, but I just, I just don't know. You know? Do and you have to be honest about people? Do you take
0: right? meetings in your sort of due diligence through legislation? I would imagine that there are some obvious lobbyists that come in that you know exactly what their position is. If it's a, it's a healthcare bill and they're in the healthcare industry or whatever, you know exactly what they're advocating for before they walk through the door. Are there times where you would take a meeting where you know that they're advocating for a position that you know that you're going to disagree with? so that you can get more information maybe from the other side. In other words, it, it's kind of like if you're an MSNBC listener, do you ever listen to Fox or vice versa just to hear, what are they talking about on the other side that I'm not really hearing because I, I disagree with, but, but what are they saying? Over
2: there? Well, of course I do. You know, yeah, okay. and, and yes, I think it's important to understand the perspective of the other side of somebody on an opposing viewpoint, because for one, I may learn something about the issue that I just wasn't aware, or it may shift my perspective ever so slightly. Like, Oh, you know, I hadn't really thought about it from that lens. And that's, you know, that's something I need to consider in my decision-making. And, and sometimes to your point, it's just, yeah, I want to know what stupid things they're saying. (laughs) (laughs) What what idiot stuff are they saying? Yeah. (laughs) So it's, it's everything. But I think the more we as human beings seek to understand the perspective of those that disagree, the better off we are. We have a better understanding. We might find some common ground. And it also just sharpens our own viewpoints. When the time comes that we stop talking, conversing, listening, and learning from others is a sad day. Yeah,
0: it, it would be so tempting to just dismiss those and say, I, I know what this person's gonna say. I know it's crap. I don't want to, you know, why am I wasting my time listening to this person? I'm not gonna agree with <laughs> them. But it, it's I guess you know, good to get those viewpoints. I find myself doing that as I flip to different news outlets that I that I know what their perspective is just to, as you said, just to hear what craziness is going on. But a lot of times I come away from those interactions upset, but a lot of times I come away going, I did not know that. <laughs> you know. So it's, right. it's helpful.
2: <laughs> well, obviously as a Democrat, you know, I'm going to lean more towards the MSNBC news than I am Fox news. That should not be any big surprise to any human being on the planet. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, I have Republicans that are constituents. And I do watch Fox News from time to time. I do want to understand the messaging that they're getting. Like on COVID, for example. Who would not want a vaccine? It just is unbelievable to me. But I want to hear the messaging that they're getting so that I can maybe adjust my communication so that they'll hear me you know, you know I mean, what,
0: what's the rationale Yeah. You know, that
2: right you know and because you know communication is only as effective as it is received and so sometimes as a communicator i have to adjust how i communicate about something and this is true in my law practice too is that when i try cases to a jury i have to adjust how i present and communicate about a case uh, if i can get a sense of if the jury's hearing me or not and yeah. so you have to adjust so that hopefully your communication can be effective. And so I think it's understanding the news media that people take in because that affects their bias and their viewpoint. And so on something as critical as COVID and saving their life, then you, I want to be effective in my communication. I may have to adjust how I talk about it. So I think it's seeking to learn, seeking to understand. Uh, understanding the perspective is very important, and it helps us all be more effective in how we proceed in our life.
0: Yeah, it's good that, perspective. That
1: reminds me of a phrase that I heard with respect to politics, and I, I don't know who to attribute this to, but basically it was instead of attributing malice, attribute ignorance, right? So if my opponent has you know advocated a position that I think is harmful and terrible and evil, it might just be that they didn't really think it through. Instead of that, you know, they're evil, big, bad, want to take over the world. That they hate America. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and I think that that speaks to a deeper issue that informs how we interact with each other, regardless of, you know, whether we're talking about politics or business or just coworkers, or if someone has done something that has frustrated me. Or said something that has frustrated with me. The worst thing that I could do is attribute intent to that action. All that I know is the action. All I know is Representative Johnson said this, Representative Johnson did this. I don't know what you intended to, the impact you intended to have. I don't know that you're mad at me. I don't know that you're doing, I don't know anything. I just know you did the thing. Right. Yeah. right.
2: <laughs> no, th- I mean, that's exactly right. I think and, and we see that uh, oftentimes in legislation where sometimes what, what I, this always cracks me up, is where somebody files a bill that an advocacy group or somebody else drafted, and they really don't know their bill very well. And then you start bringing up, well, what is this crazy provision? Uh,
0: Uh, (laughs) maybe we'll uh, take that out yeah (laughs) Uh,
2: I I don't really I don't really understand that and that's what we've seen actually with this uh, you know the topic of the day is the elections bill here in Texas and what we've seen with Republicans is they filed this bill at the 11th hour at the end of the regular session that had all of this crap in it and then after we you know the Democrats object Oh, this is terrible. And then the Republicans, once I started looking at it, like, oh, yeah, we don't really know where that came from. That was an error. Oh, <laughs> uh, and you know, that's what happens. And I, I think that at the end of the day, what's incumbent upon us in, in making is to accept it when people recognize that they made a mistake and not punish them for it and say, you know what? Good for you for recognizing that you made a mistake and you're willing to pivot and change and correct it versus... Dying on the grave for it, you know, because right. rather than admitting that you made a mistake. So, I, in my policy making, I reward people for willing to compromise and take out bad things out of bills uh, once they've been more informed and enlightened, and try not to hold it against them because I want to encourage that good behavior. <laughs> so.
0: Absolutely,
1: as a representative in focusing on decision making in the way that we have in this conversation, and the way that you clearly have in your own life outside of this. What advice would you give to other representatives, not even just in Texas, just any politician who is wanting to make better decisions?
2: In the political sphere, I think it's really understanding both sides of a policy initiative and don't be so blindsidedly partisan. I think that people make so many mistakes on legislation. If you were to just not put Republican or Democrat next to a series of issues And say, hey, are you for this? Are you for this? Are you for this? Are you for this? The majority of Americans would agree probably on 85% of it. Mm -hmm. But once you start putting a partisan label on it, all of a sudden it just dissipates.
0: We had an election in Fort Worth recently and elected a new mayor after our other mayor had had stepped down and retired. And uh, so everybody was listed. They don't indicate a party affiliation on. on any of the advertising and so I saw somebody on Facebook really upset about that they were like well you know this is so stupid they're not putting you know whether this person's a Democrat or a Republican how are we supposed to vote like how about look at what they're advocating for how about look at what they stand for rather than just whether it's a Republican or Democrat fool
2: that's right that's right and so that's how I think we've gotten into this situation is of this just deep partisan divide that we have in our country is because people quit analyzing the substance of the issues and they make solely partisan decisions about it. And so I think that that's my advice to policymakers is be willing to have dinner with somebody from the opposite side. Seek to understand where they're coming from. Seek to find where you can have common ground and do healthy, bipartisan, productive legislation to benefit everyone.
1: That's awesome. And I think that we can move closer to that if we have more people in office, in every office with your attitude and with that mindset. Mm
2: -hmm. Thank you
1: so much for joining us, for being on today. It's been exciting to see you succeed and I'm really excited to see what the future holds for you.
2: Well, thank you so very much. It's been a pleasure to be on your podcast. I think it's awesome that you're exploring decision-making. And, you know, I have two young sons. Well, not their teenageries. They're 18 and 21. And watching them go through their uh, decision-making process, they clearly need to listen to
0: this podcast. Sometimes that's challenging, right? More. (laughs) Hey, as a
1: a former 18 and 21-year-old son, (laughs) Give them time, man.
2: You know? you, it's, it, the struggle is real. Uh, 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 oh <laughs> thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. All right.
0: Thank you, Julie. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. My takeaways from our discussion with Julie, really, were, we're centrally to be informed. And I think there were a couple ways that she was doing that. Uh, one was having competent staff that's bringing her the right information, but also listening to op- opposing opinions from, from lobbyists and, and information like that. So it was really sort of getting the, the right information.
1: My, my biggest takeaway was, and this
0: isn't brand
1: new, right, but values. A lot of people that we've talked to have talked about values, and Representative Johnson brought that up again, and it was interesting. We talked about how that's the most important thing for her as a representative, and I really don't hear a lot of representatives talk that way. Yeah. So it reinforced to me that, that focusing on decision making that's aligned to our values is really important no matter what type of decisions we're making. Thanks for listening to this episode of Decidedly. I learned a lot from our conversation with Representative Johnson. You can find more about the work that she's doing for the great state of Texas on Instagram at Julie Johnson, Texas, and on Facebook, State Rep. Julie Johnson. Give us a five-star review on iTunes and Spotify if you learned something about decision-making today. If you didn't, well, I really hope that you never run for office. As always, catch us on Instagram at DecidedlyMoney. That's where we're really active, posting great looking pictures of Sean and I smiling for you. Until next time, I'm Sanger and this is Decidedly.